This is a podcast from Minute Media. Oh, I got a live one here. <laughs> All right, everybody, welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. This week, we're tackling the Batman 89 versus the Dark Knight. D, I've got a question for you. Yeah. Have you ever danced with the devil by the pale moonlight? What'd you say? <laughs> I was asked out of all my co-hosts. Uh-huh. Here we are for part two of Batman 89 versus Dark Knight. You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. <laughs> go, go, go with a smile. All right, so let's talk cast Batman 89. Okay. Okay. And we talked about how when a movie is developed over 10 years, there's going to be a lot of people associated. Yeah. Okay. So I've got a killer list, but for this movie to work, you have to have a great Bruce Wayne and you have to have a great Joker. Everybody else is kind of window dressing and okay. So here are the names. I mean, we're talking the mid eighties. It's, it's all the mid eighties stars, right? I mean, it's Kurt Russell, it's Harrison Ford, it's Tom Cruise, it's Kevin Costner. Okay. It's all these guys. Yeah. But here are the names that kind of stood out to me. Okay. We talked about Bill Murray and Ivan Wright. Okay. One of the things that they wanted was they wanted Pierce Brosnan to be Bruce Wayne. No more foreplay. Solid choice. I, I think that would have been really cool. Yeah. Okay. Great looking guy. Perfect jawline. Suave. Yeah. He could definitely play the cool playboy Bruce Action Wayne. hero. Yeah. Yeah. And clearly action hero James Bond. Right. Right. Alec Baldwin, who had worked with Tim Burton on Beetlejuice. True. At kind that of, point. Yeah. Up and comer. But here's the one that blew me away. Okay. Yeah. And we're talking, I mean, we've got Al Pacino, Kevin Spacey, Patrick Swayze, Richard Gere, Michael Bean even. But the name that really stands out to me. Yeah. They wanted Richard Donner to direct uh-huh. Mel Gibson as Bruce Wayne. Do you really want to jump? Do you want to? Joe Pesci as the Penguin. Oh, well, that one would be a solid choice for sure. Joe Pesci would be an ideal Penguin. But I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown. I amuse you. I make you laugh. I can see Mel Gibson as Batman, and that could have been a big hit movie, but yeah. Would you trade Batman 89 for Lethal Weapon 2? No. With with Mel Gibson? Yeah, no. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to talk about their most outrageous consideration for the part of Bruce Wayne? Sure, go ahead. His name was Michael Keaton. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 220, 221, whatever it takes. That's true. Talk about absurd, right? Yeah. So Michael Olsen. When they say, okay, we would like Michael Keaton to play Bruce Wayne, he laughed out loud because he thought they were joking. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, Mr. Mom, right? Yeah. And then they're like, no, we're serious. And he was up in arms. I mean, he's been working on this for nearly 10 years. Who can blame him? And they're bringing, they're bringing the guy from Night Shift. <laughs> Love Brokers. <laughs> <laughs> what? He's a comedy actor. Feed the mayonnaise to the tuna. Yeah. I mean, Michael Keaton was a way out there choice. Yeah. He had done Mr. Mom. He had done Beetlejuice. He was amazing in Beetlejuice, but it was a comedic performance. It's all of his stuff had been comedic performances, except for a movie that he had just done called Clean and Sober. Right. The Wall Street Journal. I know. The freaking Wall (laughs) Street Journal, November 29th, 1988, front page news. What is Warner Brothers thinking casting this guy as Bruce Wayne? It's destined to fail. Yeah, except it didn't. Except it didn't. So here's the deal. So Warner Brothers got 50,000 protest letters. 
50,000. 50,000. And this is in the day where you don't just type an email, <laughs> right? You got to get out a piece of paper and a pencil and it's, stamp it. Stamp it. People, if you do the math, I don't know what stamps were back then, probably <laughs> about 30 cents, I'm guessing. Yeah, I think 25, but yeah. Okay, so let's say 25. That's over $10,000 <laughs> worth of stamps. <laughs> they took the time to write down their anger on a piece of paper. Now, listen. That's 50,000 fans, okay? Yeah. And that's just the tip of the iceberg of the people who didn't take the time to do that. Right. But also, people who were against it were Sam Hamm, yep. screenwriter. Yeah. Bob Kane, creator of Batman. Yeah. And Michael Uslan, the guy who'd been babying this for 10 years. Yep. Seeing it through, bringing it, dragging it to the finish line. And Tim Burton says, no, we're doing this. Yeah. And so. Tim Burton had enough sway to make it happen. A guy, again, with two movies one of which was a peewee herman movie <laughs> are you kidding me that's nuts a guy with two movies says it's going to be michael keaton or it's going to be michael keaton how about that right now of note whenever they announced robert paniston as the new bruce wayne slash batman yes the same reaction happened people went nuts my friends went nuts this is terrible we got the the tw twinkly vampire from twilight who's really Okay, guys, number one, he's a good freaking actor. He is a really good freaking actor. And yes, he is a pretty man, but okay, he's playing a superhero. So I literally said, I didn't even know this part of history. I was a 10, 11 or whatever, whenever they're making Batman. And I was not in tune with the making of movies. I saw movies when they came out. That's all I cared about. Right. And I... I could. I said to all of my friends, my guess is that there were a lot of people that were up in arms about Michael Keaton. Turns out... There were. Yes. A whole lot. Oh, yeah. And guess what? Worked out great. He's the best Batman that there's ever been. That's true. I'll hey. say it again, and I'll spike the football. He is the best Batman that there has ever been. When we get to the end of this discussion, we're going to compare Batmans, Batmobiles, Jokers. Okay. We'll, we'll talk about all that stuff. So just a few years later, they were interviewing him about this. And you could tell the question was, do you see, feel a sense of vengeance? Because his response is, ah, one of the vengeance is the, you know, I'm a big fan of irony. Several thousand people against the idea, you know, and, um, you know, that's okay. Uh, you know, when they uh, hung me in effigy, I thought that was <laughs> a bit extreme for me. <laughs> funny guy <laughs> he's a funny guy and you know he is getting ready to play bruce wayne again and batman yeah in the flashpoint in the flash movie and people are super pumped about i hope that. he says i'm vengeance <laughs> <laughs> you know what else when they hired heath ledger to be the joker people lost their freaking mind as well yep lost their mind yeah the guy from 10 things i hate about you in a knight's tale and the patriot how is this guy going to be the Joker? Are you kidding me? Brokeback Mountain. Brokeback Mountain. It got him the part. That's exactly right. Christopher Nolan saw that and said, this is a guy who's willing to take risk. This is my guy. He actually wanted him for Batman. He was one of the original considerations when they were casting Batman Begins. Heath Ledger was a guy that Christopher Nolan wanted, and Heath Ledger turned it down. I don't want to be Batman. This is a guy for a young actor. I mean, you see, you see this more with older actors, but he was a young actor at the time. He would only do a movie every few years. He wasn't out there constantly pumping it. He was a guy who found the right movie. He said he would do a movie, he would take a break and go long enough until he got hungry for it again. And it was at that point he would decide what movie he wanted to do. Fortunately for the rest of us, that happened to happen back in about 2007. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know what he said when they asked him, why didn't you pursue that Bruce Wayne role? He said, well, I'm like a dog chasing cars. I don't catch it. I don't know what to do with it. Classic. That is a classic. All right. Let's talk about the Joker. Okay. 89 Joker. And now, folks, it's time for who do you trust? Hubba, hubba, hubba. Money, money, money. Who do you trust? Me? I'm giving away free money. And where is the Batman? <laughs> One of the movies that sort of gave birth to Jack Nicholson being the Joker is The Witches of Eastwick. Right. Okay. I don't know if you remember that. I do. Had Susan Sarandon, Cher, and Michelle Pfeiffer. Yep. Catwoman herself. Yeah. Well, the producer of that movie was John Peters. Yep. And he and Nicholson worked together, but they didn't really like each other. But he knew he was going to be great as the Joker. Well, they were both probably chasing the same tail. <laughs> John Peters, world famous at chasing tail. Yes. Mr. Hairdresser himself. <laughs> so here are the names that they wanted to be the Joker. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, many names associated with this. Okay. Christopher Lloyd, David Bowie, Tim Curry, William Defoe, yeah. Robert De Niro. Yeah. But the big ones, the people that came the closest uh-huh. are John Lithgow. Okay. Robin Williams. Yeah. And then, of course, Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson was always there. The number one <laughs> guy. <laughs> Never rubbed in another man's rebar. So the way that they did this was rather deceptive. And I feel a little bit sorry for Robin Williams. Yeah. They, they screwed him over. Yes. Because they used him as bait. Absolutely. So when they talked to Nicholson, Nichols like, yeah, it sounds kind of fun. Yeah. You know, it sounds kind of fun, but I don't really know. Yeah. And so they go to Robin Williams and Robin Williams says, yeah, I want to do this. So he commits to the project. Yeah. So they go to Jack Nicholson. They're like, hey, listen, you want to do this or you don't want to do this? Robin Williams is committed. And that's when Jack steps back into the picture. Yeah. So before before he gave the official yes, he had Peter Goober and Tim Burton come out to his little ranch. Right. And they get there and Jack's like, "Ah, let's uh, go for a ride on the horses. And Tim Burton's like, uh, I don't, I don't ride horses. And Jack Nichols is like, well, today you do. <laughs> that's, that's great, man. So he was willing to get on a horse. He thought, okay, I'm going to trust this guy. Now, once Jack Nicholson commits, he commits. Yeah. He's all in. He's not Bill Murray who will flake out on. He's not Chevy Chase. He is a guy who will follow the direction that he is given once he's committed to that director. You know what else Robin Williams missed out on? They went to Robin Williams to play the Riddler for Batman Forever. I I keep bringing up Batman Forever, but he couldn't commit to that as well. He kind of toyed with them and didn't ever commit. So they might have had his feelings hurt a little bit. Well, he was mad at Warner Brothers. Yeah. So, but here's the, here's one of the things I want to talk about before we get off casting, but the amount of money that Jack Nicholson made on Batman is obscene. It is important to note. Because it shows the foresight of Jack Nicholson. He took a lower paycheck than he normally would. I mean, this is a guy who's the number one guy. I mean, tying his name to this movie made it something that people got freaking excited about. You saw him at the end of that trailer. Wait till they get a load of me. Oh, yeah. Oh, crap. I'm going to go see that movie the day it comes out, right? So, But he saw that. He's like, 
I know I'm going to make this movie and I know this movie is going to be good. So give me numbers on the back end. So he took a, I think, what was it like? Normally it was a 10 million payday. He took six. And then he got a percentage of the box office and the toys for Batman, Batman Returns and Batman Forever. Yeah. The result was something to the tune of $90 million. That's right. That's and right. he probably got screwed out of some money. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh, quick side note on that. Ray Liotta was approached to play the Joker. They talked to him about playing the Joker. They talked to him about playing Two-Face for Batman Forever. Okay. And they talked to him about playing Batman. But he did another movie instead called Goodfellas. Goodfellas. Yep. Which we will talk about here in just a couple of weeks. That was a good choice for him. Yeah, it was. Okay. So we've got our Batman. We've got our Joker. Yes. Which that Joker meant more money from the studios and the investors for sure. Absolutely. So who are we going to have for our love interest? So our love interest is Vicki Vale. And they had her cast Sean Young. Sean Young from Blade Runner? Blade Runner and Stripes and Ace Ventura. Forgot about Finkel is Einhorn. Einhorn is Finkel. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Sean Young had been cast as Vicki Vale. And not only that, it was like a week before filming started. Yeah. Not even. Not even. It's another story like the Michael Bean alien story, right? That's right. It's not just who can we get, but who can we get that can be here tomorrow? So Sean Young was practicing her part as Vicki Vale. She was riding horses because there actually was a scene in the script where Bruce Wayne and Vicki Vale ride horses together. Oh, that wasn't in there. Maybe they decided that wasn't such a good idea. So she fell off the horse and injured her collarbone, I believe. And I saw her talking about this and she said, you know, I just couldn't hang on to the horse. Yeah. And she's like, it was a picture of my whole career. I had Batman. And I just couldn't hang on. Yeah. You know, that was a blockbuster that could have led to another blockbuster, which could have led to more things. So sadly, they had to replace Vicki Vale immediately. Mm-hmm. So like you said, they had to find somebody who was available. Can you get on a plane tomorrow and fly to London? It also had to have a name that lit up the marquee. Their first thought was Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, yeah. She was dating Michael Keaton at the time. Perfect. Except Michael Keaton's like, ah, hold on there, fellas. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to put pressure on my relationship by being in this blockbuster movie with my girlfriend. So he kind of put the brakes on that. Wait until the next movie. Then she comes out as Catwoman, hear her roar. Yeah. So they call Kim Basinger. And of course, she's like, I'm not doing anything. I could be in London tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And here she comes. Edward Studios. Same place that they shot Superman. All right. Quickly, you have Michael Guff, who played Alfred. Yeah. And Burton cast him because he liked him in some of those old Hammer film productions. Okay. Kind yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You have Alex Alexander Knox, Opportunity Knox. Yes. Right? Robert Wool played Robert him. Wool. Yep. We talked about him in our Bull Durham episode. Lollygaggers. Lollygaggers. I met... Robert Wool, the summer of 1989. You got to tell me that story. Okay. When I say I met him, I stood next to him. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I stood next to him while my friend talked to him. Uh But I was at a Kansas City Royals baseball game. Okay. 
Bo Jackson was playing for the Kansas City Royals. And okay. So that was a big ticket at the time. Yeah, sure. And this is like July of 89. And there standing next to me is Robert freaking Wool, Alexander Knox. And he's just watching batting practice, just like any old person. And I nudge my friend. I'm like, that's the dude from Batman and Bull Durham. He's like, let's go talk to him. So I stood next to him while he talked to him. Anyway, nice guy. So after Alexander Knox, let's talk about Harvey Dent. Okay. Because Harvey Dent is in this movie. Yeah. They hired Billy D. Williams to play Harvey Dent. Well, I didn't know Cal Rissian. <laughs> well, hello, what have we here? <laughs> <laughs> but they looked at Don Johnson, which I think would, could have been interesting. Oh, for sure. Yeah. William Peterson, who you will remember from our uh, Young Guns episode. Yeah. They liked the fact that Billy D. Williams was black because they wanted to do this kind of black and white, half and half, two-faced uh-huh. thing. Right. Okay. And Billy D. Williams is like, yeah, I'll come on do this thing because I know Two-Face is coming, right? Right. Well, they recast him in Batman 3 when Joel Schumacher took over. Right. One other part I want to talk about is the part of Robin. Wait, what? Robin. Okay. Was originally in the script for Batman 89. And they even talked to people. I know Kiefer Sutherland was really close. Okay. They talked to Michael J. Fox. We right. talked about Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Right. They... Talked to all these guys. They wanted Robin in it. And then they thought, nope, it's too confusing, too convoluted, too much. Cut Robin out. And so. Yeah. Tim Burton was like, when we decided to take Robin out of the script, there wasn't anybody who went, oh, no. It was all just that we don't need this. And as it turns out, it actually makes sense. Because for the first year, there was no Robin. Batman operated alone. We got Batman and Robin in 1995 in Batman Forever. One other person I want to mention real quick was the role of Alicia. I'm no Picasso, but do you like it? <laughs> right, right. Right. That was Jack Napier's girlfriend. Okay. Right. Played by Jerry Hall, who was married to Mick Jagger at the moment. Right. Okay. And so she was a model. She's pretty. She's long and leggy, whatever. One of the people that they looked at for the role of Alicia was Patsy Kinsett. I don't know. Ring a bell? No. Lethal Weapon 2. Riggs' girlfriend. Rika van Hagendas. No, van den Haas. It's Dutch. Oh, yeah. A South right. African. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. But she chose to do Lethal Weapon 2 instead. I'll take it. <laughs> and then finally, for the role of Carl Grissom, they hired Jack Palance. Who else could be Jack Nicholson's boss? Oh, man. Such a fantastic and short performance. I love it. <laughs> you are my number one guy. You on my number one guy. Apparently he was kind of a jerk to Tim Burton while on the set. All right. All right. You want to flip back to casting for Dark Knight? Uh, yeah. Dark Knight is a little different because we already had Batman Begins. Yeah, we've got Batman. So we already have Christian Bale. We knew we needed the Joker. So here are the people that they talked about possibly as the Joker. Yeah. Now, when you talk to Christopher Nolan, he says Heath Ledger all the way. Okay. The whole time. But the names on the paper are, are interesting enough. we got to talk about them. Okay. William Defoe. Mm-hmm. Steve Carell. Really? Yes. Adrian Brody. Okay. John Jarrett. Don Johnson for the Joker. Okay. And back again, Robin Williams. Wow. For a second shot um, at the Joker. And still didn't get it. I would have loved to have seen that. Yeah, but I wouldn't trade it. He had been in Insomnia Uh with Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Yeah. So whenever they started casting on this, it was actually Heath Ledger who had rejected, but he reached out to Christopher Nolan and said, hey, I'm kind of interested. Would you mind 
sitting down and talking to me for a little while. And so Christopher Nolan goes over to his house, they meet up, and they start discussing their ideas of what the Joker is supposed to be, what the right way to do the Joker is for this movie, and they're seeing totally eye to eye. Go back to ripping off mob dealers? No, 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 you, you complete me. They talked about the character of Alex from A Clockwork Orange in the movie. They talked about him in the book and they talked about Sid Vicious, F authority, anarchy kind of style. Sex pistols. Yeah. So the Joker in The Dark Knight is a special kind of anarchy. It's called illegalism. It is premised on the rejection of law and the moral standards reflected by law. Illegalists contend that both written law and standards of morality perpetuate and produced capitalist thought, which they find oppressive and exploitive. And that is the philosophy line of the Joker. And the nice thing about this, and this is important, I think, is they weren't doing a Joker origin story, which is what you got in Batman 89. Right. What they wanted was for the Joker to come fully formed and you see the rise of the Joker, not the origin of the Joker, which is perfect. Now, as you mentioned, there were several guys considered, but every single one of them was afraid to come to this role. Do you know why? Jack Nicholson. Jack freaking Nicholson. That's right. Jack. Jack is dead, my friend. You can call me How are you going to fill those shoes? And so what Heath Ledger did was he sat alone in his apartment for a month by himself and kept a diary of what he thought the thoughts of Joker would be. Let's talk about his voice for a second. So you you have the distinct voice, you know, Heath Ledger's from Australia, right? There's no trace of that accent or really any accent, right? There is a clip of Tom Waits, uh-huh. Famous singer songwriter, yep. appearing, I believe, on the Dick Cavett show. I have a growing level of popularity uh, throughout the uh, intercontinental United States, uh, <laughs> Japan, and uh, I travel extensively in Europe as well. I have a growing popularity in <laughs> North America. I, he nails it, right? It sounds exactly like it him. is very similar for sure. And he's got that low kind of, it's really odd voice. It's, yeah. It's disturbing, right? Right. One of the things I want to talk about real quick is the Glasgow smile. Okay. Yeah, I think the interesting thing, again, we go back to that plausibility. Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. Jack Nicholson's Joker severed the nerves. They pulled the cheeks back and he's got that permanent smile. That's Meg Ryan. <laughs> Sorry, the trout look. Yeah. Yeah. Ouch. And, and so it's it's effective, but it's campy. It's kind of goofy or whatever. Uh-huh. But the Glasgow smile is where somebody would take a knife and split your cheeks. Yeah. And so he's got these scars on his face. You know, I got these scars. Why so serious? Yeah. Right? Tells at least two different stories. Yeah. Because we don't want the origin story. Can't trust him. Yeah. He is brain is a bag of cats. <laughs> Except uh, it's not. There's a intelligence and a pureness behind what he is doing that is unwavering. We don't have a character arc with the Joker. He's the same from beginning to end. We get a character arc with Bruce Wayne. Yeah. We get a huge character arc with Harvey Dent. Yes. But the Joker is always the Joker. Hi. He is bound by his own philosophy and unwavering in it. And all he's trying to do is to get Batman to break one rule. That's it. That's his whole goal. 
It's his whole goal. What's that one rule? He wants him to kill somebody. Where's You have all these rules and you think they'll save you. He's in control. I have one rule. Oh, then that's the rule you'll have to break to know the truth. Which is? The only sensible way to live in this world is without rules. And tonight you're gonna break your one rule. I'm considering it. No, there's only minutes left. You're gonna have to play my little game if you want to save one of them. Yeah, the scene where he goes in and he talks to Harvey Dent after killing Rachel Dawes, after burning half of his face off, and they're alone together, and he knows the hatred that rages in this guy's heart. It's that moment that you see the brilliance behind what he says. When he talks about how if they say on the news that, you know, five gang members are going to die tonight, nobody cares because that's what the rules are. That's what they want you to accept. People are going to die from a terrorist attack. It's accepted. But you talk about killing one tiny little mayor and all of a sudden everybody goes crazy. Yeah. And then Harvey Dent puts the gun to his head and says, you live, you die. And he says, now you're talking. It's amazing. It's awesome. God, it's so good. He was a part of the whole process of building the Joker. Like he went with the costume designer and they looked at pictures of Disco Zod. Terrence Stamp and Iggy Pop and some of these other guys and they figured out they were like okay let's take away as much as we can from this kind of picture that everybody has of the Joker and see could he be you know the Joker without all of this stuff and they realized no we can't but it doesn't have to be the same way that's been presented like you can almost smell him on the movie screen, right? Yeah. He's not the clean, well-pressed Jack Nicholson Joker who's got uniform coats for all his henchmen. He's a guy who looks like he's been sleeping in the same clothes for the last two months. Yeah, he does. Heath Ledger applied his own makeup. That's why if you looked at his fingers, he's got paint all over his fingers all the time. Yeah. Again, we go to that plausibility thing, you know? Right, right. You know, the interesting thing about the Joker, or one of the interesting things... There's so many, but he only says three jokes in the entire movie. Okay. He doesn't laugh a lot. Like Nicholson laughs the entire movie, uh-huh. which is charming and cool and iconic. Yeah. But he only has three jokes in The Dark Knight. Okay. At the beginning, he puts a smoke bomb in the bank guy's mouth, pulls it, and it you know fizzles. All right. The, uh, the disappearing pencil. It's hilarious. <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> and then his fake seductive greeting when he comes in to visit Harvey Dent wearing his nurse's outfit. Hi. Hi. Oh my gosh. What a fantastic performance. I can't believe we lost such an incredible actor. I I wish we could see what he he would have done. We just passed the 14th anniversary on Mm -hmm. January 22nd. Yeah. Ha, 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 ha. You know, at that scene, let's talk about that scene for just a second. I know we're kind of getting off track, but the disappearing pencil. Yeah. When I saw that in the theater, it's such a shock because I didn't know what he was doing. Nope. He was like, watch this. You know, put the pencil down. That guy comes up to grab him and boom. And then pencil through the eye hole kills him. And he, you know, makes the joke. (laughs) And you realize, oh my gosh, this guy is a crazy killer. See, I'm not a monster. I'm just ahead of the curve. 
I mean, he's nuts. And also kind of a badass. And it, yeah. And then they go to grab him and he's got a bunch of grenades in his pocket and he's willing to pull the pin on all of them. Right. Yeah. But they said in that meeting, he's telling them he wants half, you know, I want half. Yeah. And they say, uh, you're crazy. And he goes, I'm not crazy. If you're good at something, never do it for free. How much you want? Uh, half. <laughs> you're crazy. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Right. In a very stern, instantly serious tone. He says he wants half, but his desire, unlike Jack, his desire is not for money and it's not for power. It is to upset the social order through crime. He just wants to watch the world burn. <laughs> Got it. Which we would be remiss if we didn't talk about Michael Caine as Alfred. Oh my gosh. Now, of course, he was in Batman Begins as well, right? Yes. Yeah. He And there's the, some interesting casting choices there. We get Liam Neeson as Raz Al Ghul, who, of course, he's going to be a mentor, right? Liam Neeson? Of course. Of course, he's, he's going to be a mentor. He's quite on Jin. Oh, wait. No, he's a villain. He's a super villain, right? Yeah. And then... And we've got all of these other side characters that are played by these brilliant actors. He was pushing hard to get Morgan Freeman and pushing hard to get Michael Caine. And with Michael Caine, he sat there and waited while he read the script. A <laughs> little bit of pressure. He's like, I'm not trying to pressure you, but I'm just going to sit here and let you decide. So go ahead. <laughs> Listen, Michael Caine. So I, I love Michael Caine and he is perfect as Alfred, right? Yeah, yeah. He gives gravitas to that character. Yeah. We will talk about Michael Caine in Jaws 4 again this summer. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Michael Caine was really famous for doing something great and then some, like a paycheck movie. Yeah. So I can't wait to talk about that paycheck movie this summer. Yeah. Let's talk about Harvey Dent for a second. Okay. Wait, I haven't given up on Michael Caine yet. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Never. Sorry. Just had to say that. Go ahead. <laughs> Never. Okay. Uh, so, of course, Gary Oldman comes back as Commissioner Gordon. Again, greatest actor imaginable right i mean if suddenly right now somebody over here yelled cut and i found out that i was gary oldman the whole time i wouldn't be surprised he's that good <laughs> when he got approached they wanted to play the villain and he was like you know what i've been the villain a lot i don't really want to be the villain anymore yeah and talk about the opposite of the villain he's the straight laced by the book ultimately commissioner gordon quick name the actor who played commissioner gordon in batman 89 I don't know, but he did a good job. It's a heavy guy. I can't remember his name. Though. I don't know. Exactly. Right. Commissioner Gordon is part of that trifecta of Dent, Wayne, and Gordon. Yeah. you got to have that third piece to make it work in that second movie. Yeah. Okay. So real quick, before we move off of Heath Ledger and the Joker, there's a couple things I want to say. Okay. So you know the scenes that are the the terrorist home video scenes that he does, right? right. Where he's got the guy tied up, right? Heath Ledger actually did. That's Anthony Michael Hall that got tied up. Yes. One of the he's got the he's got the guy wearing the hockey pads, right? That's one of the scenes. And then there's another one that has Anthony Michael Hall hanging upside down, right? Yeah. And Heath Ledger is the one that directed all of those bits. Christopher Nolan showed up showed up for the first one and said, you got this for the rest of these. <laughs> the interesting thing, I mean, that's that is a huge deal, but there was no second unit for this movie. Christopher Nolan directed every piece of Dark Knight. Get out of town. Except, except the Heath Ledger directed scenes. 
Wow. No, no my mind is blown. Anything. That is nuts. Can you imagine that? No. What? Yeah. Wow. Here's something about Christopher Nolan's director. Okay. That I just got to say, I mentioned this when we did our top 10. Okay. But he's the guy who doesn't look at the monitor. He doesn't look through the scope. He puts his face right next to where the camera is and he watches the actors because he says the monitor isn't a high enough resolution. You're not going to get the full effect on the monitor. Wow. The sound that I get from the headphones is compressed. I'm not going to get the correct sound if I put those headphones on. So he literally experiences it live as close as he can to the actors. And he won't zoom shots. He gets the camera right up in their face to make it as real and as in their world as he can. All right. Let's talk briefly about Harvey Dent. Harvey Dent. Go. Okay. So they cast Aaron Eckhart. Yes. Uh, he was cast in February of 2007. Mm -hmm. They cast him. Nolan thought he looked like Robert Redford. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Sure. Robert Redford, American hero, right? Roy Hodgson. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's the guy, right? Mm -hmm. I, I love Robert Redford. But here are the names of the people that they thought about. Okay. Mark Ruffalo, Liv Schreiber, Hugh Jackman. Yes. That would yes. have been interesting. But he's Wolverine already, right? And Matt Damon. Uh, I could see that too. Yeah. Because the idea with Harvey Dent is the white knight, right? Yeah. Batman begins. He creates the Batman by dark night. He's already trying to figure out how can I retire from this job and live a life that's normal? How can I be with Rachel? Right. That's the and, big question. And that's why you get this kind of ultra macho measuring stick thing going on with Bruce Wayne and Harvey Dent. And ultimately, he realizes Harvey is the white knight. He is the guy who cannot be broken, which is what makes his breaking so monumental. We need to talk about the breaking. Okay. But before we do, yes. I got one other person I want to talk about. Okay. We already talked about Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox. Yeah. Again, huge actor on a, a minor part. Part was written for him. Which Christopher Nolan said, I don't normally do this, but I just had it in my head that it had to be him. And so it was super important. So I was really glad because he didn't he didn't just say yes right away. He's really glad when he showed up. Golly. So Batman begins in the role of Rachel Dawes. Yes. You have Katie Holmes. Yes. Okay. Yep. She did not return for The Dark Knight. She went to play with Diane Keaton and Queen Latifah in Mad Money instead. You buying that story? No. What do you think happened? I think that Tom Cruise was a pain in the butt. Yep. Because she seems like a nice, reasonable person. She did a decent job in the role. She's much better looking than the second Rachel Dawes. Maggie, what's her name? Maggie Gyllenhaal. Eh, not an attractive woman. Sorry, Maggie. No offense to you. Just I'm just saying. We talked about this the other day. Here's the problem. Yeah. Katie Holmes looks like she's eternally 16. Uh-huh. Yeah, and she's supposed she's to young. be, you know, the tough lawyer. Yeah, I can see that. Eh, I, eh. Okay. Maggie Gyllenhaal, maybe a little tougher. Mm -hmm. Still not, you know. She's not the girl that you, if you lose, you lose your mind and turn to a life of crime and become a super villain. <laughs> right. If Maggie Gyllenhaal breaks up with you or dies, you're like, right. well, that was tragic. Huh? I'll go find somebody else. Well, okay. So, so let's talk. Rachel! About, let's talk about that scene. Okay. Okay. All right. Because I will say this. I, I just I feel bad now that I've said something, but I want to say this as honestly as I can. She sells the moment that she dies. Yeah, she does. She does. And it's a short, it's a few seconds long and she sells it and she does a great job with it. 
Um, she's not a bad actress. She's just, to me, not an attractive person. Everett's beauty's in the eye of the beholder. That's all I'm going to say about that. Okay. But Jonathan Nolan talks about the fact that with superhero movies, you've got this genre that has certain tropes. And you, the audience, because of those tropes, has expectations. Yeah. We think about Spider-Man, where he's got to save his girlfriend and the car full of children, right? Well, the, the villain thinks that he's got him where one of them has to die and the other one... Choose Spider-Man. Yeah, right. Either a, this or that. And the superhero always manages to save both. Right. So Jonathan said it was really easy to kick the legs out from underneath that. Everybody expected, at worst, at worst, if he didn't save both of them, he was certainly going to save Rachel. Right. Wrong. Yeah. No. And by the way, it, the address that he gives, and this is interesting. Yeah. The address that he gives Batman, which is the wrong address. Right. Batman's trying to go save Rachel. Yes. He says she's at 250 52nd Street. Okay. 25052. Five, two. It's a palindrome, like the two sides of a coin. Ah, interesting. There you go. Interesting. So she gets blown to bits. And Harvey gets his half his face burned off. Yes. Yes. You want to talk about it now? <laughs> you want to talk about it now? Or do we, we're going to save it? Let's save it. Okay. Let's save it. All right. Just a couple of the actresses that were going to take over for Tom Cruise's crazy wife. Yeah. I mean, Katie. Crazy Holmes. Tom's. Crazy, crazy Tom's. Nice wife. Yeah. His wife. Uh, Sarah Michelle Geller, Emily Blunt, Rachel McAdams, yeah. Isla Fisher. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Decent actresses, pretty faces. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that Heath Ledger kissed both Maggie and Jake in his, <laughs> in his movie. <laughs> uh, huh? Brother and sister there can discuss hey. who was the best. Yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. Real quick, I'm going to throw this out there. I can remember going and seeing The Dark Knight at the theater. Saw it with a couple of buddies of mine, both who have moved on to great things. But we went to see the movie together. So hyper-intelligent guys, right? Yeah. When we get there, as we're handing our ticket, we say, where should we sit to the guy you know, that's taking the tickets? He says, well, if you sit in the back, the, the seats move. And I'm like, is this some sort of like virtual experience? What's going on? Well, he's talking about the bass. Like when you get that deep bass of Hans Zimmer and all of the motors, it would, the seats vibrated, right? So I'm sitting there and I'm watching with these guys and it gets to that party scene where the Joker kisses and Bruce Wayne is running to his secret lair. And you'll remember if he, as he runs through the room, yeah. there's this lurturous old man and this really beautiful young woman yeah. who are like making out. Yes. And she's like, oh, he's got a panic room, right? And yes. then he leaves them. Right. Did he leave us? I went to college with her. She went to OU with me. Really? Her name's Jennifer Knox. She is absolutely gorgeous, was then, is now. And wow. perfect for the part. But I, I had no idea that she was in the movie. And uh, we're sitting there watching. I'm like, I know her. <laughs> Holy cow. I know that girl right there. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Hey, speaking of personal connections to yeah. The Dark Knight, yeah. our buddy John Reed. Yeah. Who co-hosts the podcast full of kryptonite with us. Yes. And he does a 30-something movie podcast. Yep. He and I believe Dennis, they were extras during the mayor assassination scene. Yeah. Okay. They drove down to Chicago. Yeah. So I, so they live up there. And I, I texted him this week. Uh-huh. And the code name that the Dark Knight was filmed under was Rory's first kiss. Yes. Christopher Nolan has a son named Rory and he was kind of a young kid. Ah, uh, okay. Rory's first kiss. 
So I asked him, I'm like, did you know that the Dark Knight was filming and it was just kind of a, a cover or how much? Did, he's like, it was a poorly kept secret. Yeah. We all knew it was Batman. Yeah. There were like guys on the radio going, hey, guys, you know, if anybody still doesn't know, it's not Rory's first case. Okay. <laughs> he said that uh, he said that like that street would shut down and they would just cover the Batmobile with a sheet. Our buddy, John Reed. Go check out the 30 something movie podcast and podcast full of Kryptonite. Yeah. Okay. One of the names we somehow bypassed was Christian Bale. Yeah. Kind of an important one. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever seen him. He was a childhood actor. He did. He was in Empire of the Sun. Yeah. He was. Yeah. Yes. He was in Empire of the Sun and he was in Henry V, the Kenneth Branagh version as one of the boys in that. Yeah. Wow. I mean, he's been with us for a long time. American Psycho. But I mean, his name was not a... Wait a minute. You're telling me he was Batman and Bateman? <laughs> what? Oh, my gosh. Oh, yes. yes. So before he got cast, actually, I, I, I can't remember whether he, would, that he had taken the job yet or not. But before he started filming for Batman Begins, he did a movie called The Machinist. Have you seen it? I have not ever brought myself to see this. It is a great movie. You may not like it. It may not be your style, but it is a great movie. But part of what he did was drop all of like, he's, he's a guy who doesn't eat and doesn't sleep. And so he dropped down to, I think something like 120 pounds, 120 pounds. This guy's six foot and he's down to 120. He is literally skin and bones and he's about to go be a superhero. When you look at the pictures of him at 120 you can see the rib cage through his pectoral muscles. There's nothing there. Nothing there. And he has to go become Batman. So Christopher Nolan says to him, gain as much weight as you possibly can in the next six months. And so he's just eating all he wants to right. and working out, eating and working out. And he gained a whole lot of weight. Yes. He was well above 200 to the point that when he showed up, <laughs> the, the crew on the movie went, uh, are we filming Batman or Fat Man? Incredible. And so Christopher Nolan was like, oh, uh, let's maybe do some cutting here. <laughs> let's tell him up. So he dropped 20 pounds from what he had gained himself up to of fat, which is where you get the guy who can drop, do a full standing to drop push up. And he looks like an action hero. He looks like a linebacker. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you, when you see those pictures of him in the machinist, it's it's amazing. It's crazy. Yeah. That is that's some dedication right there. He had gotten cast. He was the very first guy who auditioned for the part of Batman. Yeah, Batman Begins. Okay, but they went through several other people. Yes, one of the guys that screen tested was Killian Murphy. Yeah, and Christopher Nolan was like, I just his eyes are amazing. His acting is amazing. He's just not right for this part, but I want to cast him, and so that's how he ends up getting the part of the scarecrow right which he comes back in the dark night small bit but it's part of it right not my diagnosis <laughs> right yeah right and and he's and he's been in like just about every other christopher nolan movie since then right yeah. he's an in inception he's i believe in interstellar i don't know anyway he's he, he and christopher nolan definitely formed a bond right well you talked about heath ledger auditioned for the part of Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Yeah. And so he, when they did the screen tests with him, they filmed it on actual film where they took, they looked at like the Val Kilmer Batman thing and made their own Batman cowl so that he could look. And 
one of the actresses that did him a favor to read the part of Rachel Dawes was Amy Adams. Oh. Who, of course, goes on to play Lois Lane in Man of Steel. It's a quick story on that one. David Goyer and Christopher Nolan are working hard on Batman Begins and they hit writer's block and they go and they can't figure out where to go next, can't figure out where to go next. And Christopher Nolan's like, okay, we're just going to take two weeks off. We're going to go do other things. We'll come back to this. Okay. And so David S. Goyer goes home. He's like, okay, you know, I'm set blocking off my time. I'm going to focus on this movie for this amount of time. He's working on other projects too. But as every other writer does, he procrastinates and he picks up some comic books. <laughs> and the comic books he happens to pick up are Superman comic books. Okay. And it gives him this idea of a Superman movie. What I can do with that, huh? And so he writes out a little storyline and he's like, this, this might work. This might work. He goes, but I think Warner Brothers has already got a Superman movie in the works, a Superman reboot in the works. So no big deal. Just a way to distract myself. Maybe I could, maybe it'll help me with the Batman. Okay. He comes back. Christopher Nolan's like, okay, what'd you come up with? He's like, nothing. He goes, what did you do for two weeks? He goes, well, read comic books and I came up with this story idea for Superman, Christopher Nolan, who also likes press, and he said, tell me a story. And he's like, okay, well, here it is. It's kind of, you know, allegory to Christ. And, you know, there are all these factors and Zod comes in and Christopher Nolan's like, can I produce this movie? Wow. And David Escoyer's like, uh, well, of course, yeah. And Christopher Nolan's like, hold on, picks up the phone, calls Warner Brothers and says, hey, here's the storyline. I'd like to produce, David's writing it, Here's what the story is. They can the Superman script that they were working on and they pick up David S. Goyer's Man of Steel. Wow. That is amazing. That's a great story. Fantastic. Okay, guys, before we go any further, we were going to take a quick break and we are going to do our Shirley Showcase. That's right. This week we asked our friends from the 30-something movie podcast, our good buddies, John, Jeff, D, Bo. Not D. That's me. (laughs) I'm John. D. Hi, how you doing? Hi. Nice to meet you. Good to, good to meet you. <laughs> John. I've been on the podcast before. I think I can count as a member. I'll be a member of the 30-something movie uh, podcast now. Are you on 30-something? <laughs> John, Jeff, Pat, Bo. Right. And I would like to say this is my favorite 80s and 90s podcast other than our own podcast, of course. Yeah, these are our good buddies. And here's what they had to say. Batman 89 versus Dark Knight. We are the guys from the 30-something movie podcast, and the bat signal went up from our good buddies, D and Jason. They set themselves the impossible task of trying to decide between Batman 89 and the Dark Knight. Then they called us and asked what we thought. You know, I knew I didn't like those guys. <laughs> Without the Joker portrayal in Batman 89, I don't know that we could have gotten the Joker from Dark Knight because Nicholson leaned a little bit more Cesar Romero. It kind of took that idea of the Joker off the table so that when Dark Knight rolled around, they had to do something different. Now, the tone of the movie probably would have called for a more demented Joker anyway, but it definitely took the clownish part of it out of the equation. Now, how do you choose between the two movies? I don't know, but I think for me, I think I would have to say Batman 89. Lock it in. Spike the football, as Jason likes to say. I mean... Both movies are just incredible interpretations on the theme. I I mean, I've got the nostalgia for the 89 Batman. That was one of the 
first adult movies that I remember going and seeing with my dad in the theater and and you know Michael Keaton just as amazing as Bruce Wayne Jack Nicholson fantastic as the Joker so you have those wonderful casts the music is incredible in 89 Batman the Danny Elfman score the Prince a soundtrack and the vehicles I mean the Batwing and the Batmobile <laughs> were awesome and it had that ethos to it which was just so refreshing to see so there's just so many amazing things in that movie that I I it would be hard not to say, oh, that's the one that I lean towards. The Chris Nolan Batman, I mean, that was like when those came out, wow, this is so different. And I think it's because it leans so much into the real. And as awesome as Jack Nicholson's Joker is, how do you ignore Heath Ledger's Joker? Do you narrow down? Do you have a vote? Well, I th- I th- didn't I already give the vote? I'm sorry, it's breaking up, John. Why don't you go to the next person? But I already, I already said my vote. Uh-huh. I, I, I'm reviewing the transcript and no, there's no vote given. Yeah, that's what I thought. He rejects your reality and substitutes his own. There we go. (laughs) All right, so we have a no vote from Pat. 1989 all the way. It's a classic. It's quote-unquote the original as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. There's just so much amazing stuff in there. Nicholson and Keaton are great. Some lines from it that I still use weekly. It's got to be 89 for me. This town needs an enema. Aesthetically, everything is beautiful in Batman 89. That's my favorite Batmobile of all of the Batmobiles in existence, other than maybe the 60s TV show. The 89 Batman Batmobile is my absolute favorite. Actually, I think I have a model of it. Yep, I have a model of it back here on the shelf. The last thing any of us had ever seen was the campy 60s Batman and you know what you saw in the Super Friends cartoon on Saturday mornings. And then we got to see this Batman, which was dark and serious, still a little campy, left in there it was the first one to bring something new like that and and really make batman dark again and then the dark knight it's an amazing movie it is a such a different joker Mm -hmm. than we get from any other iteration all right i'm gonna i'm gonna be the sacrilegious one i might say the dark knight because i'm not taking anything away from batman 89 because it's just as amazing but heath ledger's performance is outstanding i don't know i think the overall story of the dark knight is just a little bit more compelling to me there's just the layers plot wise that's i think just more interesting and more compelling as a movie watcher jason and d hopefully that helps i don't know if that helps you make a decision or if your decision is already made you've got four other opinions if you want to throw those into the mix and so hopefully that helps out guys so we we do not envy you the task of having to make a decision between batman 89 and the dark knight but good luck and and as we always say just i guess be excellent to each other when it's all done okay i think i agree with pat on this one i want to go with pat's (laughs) opinion what he said is right yeah, we got some love from Batman 89 from these guys. Yeah, we got two votes for Batman 89, one vote for The Dark Knight, and one... Abstain. Abstain. Abstention. <laughs> one abstention. Yes, that's all right. I understand. It's a difficult choice. Thanks, guys. We appreciate y'all. Go check out the 30-something movie podcast. Okay, that's going to do it for episode two of Batman versus Dark Knight. We're going to have three parts out of this thing. Three at least, and probably a little secret special episode to follow everything up when we go and see the Batman and find out how great a movie or not great a movie this is going to be. Can't wait. If you haven't done it yet, please hit that follow button on your podcast app. It costs you nothing at all, and it does great wonders for us. So please don't forget to smash that follow button in the face, and we will talk to you next week. And now, folks. It's time for who do you trust? Hubba, hubba, hubba. Money, money, money. Who do you trust?